The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. But many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and hurried about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever Jesus went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. This is the word of the Lord. Eight years after Emma Roselle's funeral, I'd completed seven years of college and the bishop sent me to be the Sunday night preacher at the First United Methodist Church in Houston, the largest in our denomination at that time. I was 26. I was preaching 52 weeks a year, every Sunday night, Dr. Charles Allen preaching twice every Sunday morning. One morning he announced that he was about to take a three-week vacation and that for the next three weeks I would be preaching both morning and evening. When the service was over, I heard a woman say to him, Vacation? Vacation? The devil never takes a vacation. To which he responded, maybe that's why he's the devil. <laughs> In this passage today, Mark has described the disciples coming back to Jesus after he had sent them out two by two to teach, preach, and heal. They were ecstatic about what had happened to them, but they were exhausted. The crowds now pressed in on them almost as much as they did on Jesus. They didn't even have time to eat. We come to this passage. Four things for you to think about. Number one, Jesus said, Come away to a, an eremos, he says, eremos. The Revised Standard Version translated it uninhabited place, but scholars decided, well, that didn't get it, the word quite well enough. So in the New Revised Standard Version, it calls it deserted place because it literally means desert. But you see, scholars know there is no desert right around the Sea of Galilee. The desert's 90 miles south of there. So when Jesus uses the word here in Mark, what is he trying to say to them? A quiet place, a place where no one else is, a place away from others. You need a place away. Come with me, away from all the others. You see, this is the word that's used of the place Jesus went immediately after he was baptized. He went to Eremos, into the wilderness or the desert. In Mark's Gospel, when Jesus performed his first healing miracle and people rushed to see him, when they finally went home at night, the next morning he got up early before the sun rose and went out to an Eremos. But see, there is no desert near Capernaum. So deserted place or uninhabited place or lonely place, at least place where there was nobody else. Sarah Maitland has written a book called The Book of Silence. In this book, Sarah talks about growing up in a big Roman Catholic family in Scotland. She was one of six children. She said it was noisy, 
All the time it's noisy when you have six kids and a mom and dad, and a lot of the time friends of this one or that one or another were there as well. It was noisy. And then she said there was college, and then there was marriage, and then there was having two children and trying to keep up with a job and a husband and two kids. And then the kids were grown, and the husband went away, and she was alone. And she said, more than anything, I wanted to be quiet. So in chapter 1, you find her on one of the moors of England, a very deserted place. In chapter 2, she's up on the Isle of Skye, northern Scotland, trying to find quiet. In chapter 3, she's down in the Sinai Desert trying to find those places where desert mothers and fathers went when they felt the Roman Empire was encroaching upon them and weakening and watering down their faith community. And by the end of the book, she's living alone in a shepherd's cottage in a remote part of Scotland. She says it's amazing how quiet it is. Occasionally, I'll hear one of the sheep. Occasionally, I'll hear one of the goats. Occasionally, I'll be aware that the wind is blowing. I tell you, there's something special about silence, about being quiet. Do you understand why this room has been always called a sanctuary? Coming from the Latin sanctus, in English translated holy. Sanctus and holy both mean set apart. A set apart place where we can sing hymns of praise and we can be really quiet, really quiet and see what God might be whispering into the deepest recesses of our heart. Number two, Mark says, even though they went to this deserted place, the crowds heard where they were going and rushed on ahead of them. And when Jesus saw them, he was moved with compassion. Dr. Eugene Peterson translates, it broke his heart because they were sheep without a shepherd. Remember in the Torah scroll of Numbers, when Moses knows he's very near the end of his life, and he prays to God that as he has been the shepherd of these people for 40 years, God will raise up a new shepherd so that when they cross the river into the promised land, they will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Joshua became that man, you recall. Or when you get to the prophet Ezekiel, who was swept up along with others by the Babylonians, force-marched all the way to ancient Babylon, who knew what had happened to the ten northern tribes when the Assyrians had so decimated them. They had finally given up, intermarried with the Assyrians till they ceased to exist as a separate people. This must not happen to the southern tribes, Ezekiel and others said. This must not happen to the southern tribes. And Ezekiel said, if we hang together, if we do Torah, one day we will have a new shepherd and it will be Almighty God himself. And we Christians believe that day came when God became human in Mary's child Jesus. 
that he came to shepherd us. We do need a shepherd. Dr. Peter Marty is son of the famous Dr. Martin Marty. Peter is a Lutheran pastor, as his father was before him, before his dad went on and gave far more time as a professor at the University of Chicago. Peter writes well, as does his father. Peter wrote recently that sometimes we need an object lesson. That he remembered a time when he was forgetting to put the cap on the toothpaste when he was a boy, and his mother called him back into the bathroom one night and said, Peter, this is a tube of paste. This is a cap. They belong together. Vince Lombardi was hired to coach the Green Bay Packers. He arrived to find a team that had won one game the year before and it had a losing season for ten consecutive years. He gathered all these high-priced athletes around him and said, this is a football. So God confronted the prophet Amos and said, Amos, what is this? He said, it's a basket of fruit. You're absolutely right. Do you know what's wrong with this basket of fruit? The rich put the rotten fruit on the bottom of the basket and sell it to the poor as if all is good. They change the scale so that what the poor pay is not a fair price. They sweep up the chaff and remix it with the wheat grain so that the people do not get all they need for bread. Things are not right, Amos. You tell the people things are not right. My people are like sheep without a shepherd. That's what Jesus sees. So what does he do? Number three, he began to teach them. In Mark's gospel, that's what he does. Mark doesn't give us nearly as much of the teaching material of Jesus as Matthew would later give and Luke would give. It's in Matthew and Luke's Gospels that we have the teachings of Jesus, much more, not in Mark. Even though he says the greatest function Jesus performed, other than his willingness to give himself, was that he taught he taught, 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 believing that if people hear the truth, they will finally, finally, surely accept and do truth. Remember Dr. Brandon Scott, when he was our Barton Clinton Gordy presenter, said that he's convinced that every story Jesus ever told was about the kingdom of God. What would life look like if you really understood what God's kingdom is supposed to be? teaching. Almost every newspaper I've picked up the last couple of weeks, every magazine I've read says, To Kill a Mockingbird is 50 years old. 50 years, 1960, Harper Lee wrote a novel called To Kill a Mockingbird, only one she ever wrote. She grew up in Alabama, still lives in Alabama, much older woman now, of course. All those 50 years ago, she wrote a story about a black man accused of raping a white woman. And in a small Alabama town, there was a white man named Atticus Finch who agreed to defend this black man before a white jury. You remember 1960? In 1960 in my hometown, we still had water and colored water. We still had restrooms and we had 
colored restrooms. If a white person met a black person on a sidewalk in my hometown, the black person was supposed to step off and let the white person pass. That's what was going on in 1960 when Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. Are there really good white people? Are there really good black people who've been falsely accused? Would this lawyer give his best? Would this jury really listen? all told through the eyes of a child. Of a child who's watching, understanding some things, not understanding other things. And finally that dramatic moment in the courtroom when in fact the white lawyer has given it everything he's got. And he has proven this man is innocent. The black people are sitting in a small balcony of the courtroom, white people down on the main floor. But these two little children have gone to the balcony to the white people, uh, black people who are their friends. And when the trial is finally over, Atticus Finch stands up, puts his papers into an old briefcase, and starts to walk out. And these little children are just lifted to their feet. As an older black man said, Stand up, child. Your father is passing. There are some who will do the right thing. It was a teaching book. It sold 30 million copies. Because enough people heard a truth here, a truth here, that the way life has been lived in many places is not the way it ever should have been lived. There is a right way, a fair way, a way of justice and righteousness. We need the teaching. We need the teaching so much. All right, number four. Notice how Mark focuses here on the people. Not so much on what Jesus is doing as what the people are doing. Did you hear it? People at once recognized him, rushed about to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. They laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might even touch the fringe of this blue and white prayer shawl that he wore under his robe. Do you do that for somebody else? Put yourself out for the well-being of another? Somebody who cannot do for you in return? Just recently, one of the past presidents of our Rotary Club, I'm a past president, did forwarded me an email. You get these, as do I. Maybe you saw this one. I had not seen it before. He said, I know you like good stories. I think this is a good story. Men said he grew up in a small town up in Idaho. That after he was home from college, a young adult, he was in a small grocery store there one day getting some new potatoes, some of the first of the spring. And while he was paying for his potatoes, he heard a conversation between the man who owned this little grocery store and a little boy. The man said to him, see anything you like? The little boy said he really did love English peas. The man said, why don't you take a sack of these peas home with you? Well, the little boy said he didn't have any money. The man at the store said, how's your mama doing? Well, better, he said, a little stronger every day. The man said, sure you don't want to take some of these peas home? I don't have any money. Well, do you have something else there in your pocket that maybe we could trade? The little boy pulled out a favorite marble, blue. The man looked at it and said, this is a beautiful blue marble. 
But you know, I sort of have a hankering for a red one. Do you have a red one? The little boy said at home he had a red one. Well, he said, why don't you take this little sack of peas to your mama? Next time you come by, bring that red one. I'll take a look at it. As the child took the peas and went away, the wife of the store owner, who worked alongside her husband every day, said to the man buying potatoes, there are three kids from three different families, three little boys. They're good kids. They're just so poor. So poor. So, she said, my husband barters with them all the time. But whatever marble they pull out of their pocket, it's always the wrong color. So he sends them on home with two apples, three apples, a little bag of peas, beans, or potatoes, and tells them to bring whatever color they didn't have that time the next time. This man said, not long after, I moved away to Colorado, had been there for years, and finally went back home for a visit to this small town in Idaho. And when I was visiting with some friends, and we were reminiscing about things we remembered about our hometown, they told me that this Mr. Miller had died the day before. That he was, in fact, lying in state at a local funeral home. They were going that night. Why didn't I come along? So I went. He said, we walked into the funeral home, and I saw Mrs. Miller. I recognized her, even though it had been many years. She was standing by the casket with three young men. One of them was in military uniform. The other two, dark suits, white shirts, beautiful ties. And then I heard one, saw one after the other, hug her, kiss her on the cheek, reach over into the casket, and then quietly move out. I walked over to her and said, Ms. Miller, told her who I was. I'd been in her store many times when I was growing up. I remembered a particular conversation one day when I was buying potatoes and the kid was wanting some English peas. And she said, those were the three kids I told you about. There they are. They just left. Said they came by to pay an old debt. And he said, I glanced over into the casket, and there, lying right near the hands, were three shiny red marbles.